you're listening to Board Game Bitch. I'm your host, Victoria Fraser, and we're going to talk about all things board games. Let's get started. Welcome back. Hello, my little meeple people. <laughs> it's another episode of your new favorite board game show, Board Game Bitch. Um, this is episode two. It's been two weeks since the last one, so that's pretty cool. Uh, welcome to the new year. You know, it's only mildly insane. Um, so yeah, in today's episode, I'm going to talk about another favorite board game of mine. Um, if you like Risk, but hate how long it takes, I have some great news for you. And that is this new, not really that new, but relatively new board game that'll definitely scratch that itch. Da-da-da-da! Really bad drum roll! Small World and Small World Underground. Da-da-da! Fantastic board game by Days of Wonder. Um, there's a lot of expansions of it, and there's a couple versions. I'm going to be talking about the original, and also one called Small World Underground, which is basically the same with like a couple minor differences, um, and I'll explain kind of why I prefer it over the other one at the end. But those are the two I'm going to be talking about. Most of my references are going to be to the Underground version, because that's the one I played the most, um, but they are very much the same. It's just basically a design change and a couple different mechanics. Um, yeah. Okay, so... What is Small World? Small World is a fantasy board game that involves players fighting each other to uh, take up the most territory in a world that's just not big enough for everyone to exist or cohabitate peacefully. You know, it's a small world after all. Ha ha ha. Anyway, that's basically the name. Pretty self-explanatory. Um, and there are three main game, mecha- game mechanics that I'm going to talk about as we go through them. So uh, the first one is... Oh, I also forgot to mention the actual designer of this game. His name is... Because I like to include the designers. Because, like, I don't know. I feel like we give musicians and so many other art artists um, their credit in, like, movies and stuff. But, like, with board games, we don't always know the names of the designers. And that's kind of too bad. Because, like, that's they're the ones who came up with it. Like, I've never made a board game. That's so cool. Um, so his name is Philippe K. Arts. And he's from Belgium. So that's kind of fun. I'm also Belgian. So, hey, shout out to Belgians out there. We made French fries and French toast, but nobody gives us credit. And also really good Lambic beer. Anyways, I've been to Belgium once, and it was not as exciting as I wanted it to be. No, it was pretty nice. Okay, distraction. Let's go back to board games. Um, So there's a couple of mechanics. Thanks, Philippe, for making this rad, rad board game. Now let's talk about how it works. Mechanics, uh, there are like three main ones I'm going to talk about. So first, area control or territory control. This is a very common mechanic in board games, and um, it's pretty self-explanatory. But, you know, I, the first time I heard this term, I didn't totally know what it was referring to. So that's why I'm breaking it down for you guys. Because there's some noobs and we, we just got to know what these things mean. And, like, you'll see that on the board game in the description. It was like, hey, what does that mean? Um, so, basically, area control, territory control games are ones where the, one of the main mechanics of it is uh, there are territories or areas on the board that you want to be in charge of to get points. Like, that's, like, a major component. There are so many board games like this. There is Risk, which I mentioned at the start. There's Settlers of Catan. Um, there's Small World, as I'm discussing. Um, and there's probably a lot more that I can't think of off the top of my head, but like it's a very common mechanic. Um, I think uh, I'm forgetting what it's called, but I'm thinking of one and it's going to bother me. Anyways, there's a lot of them. Area Control is very common. Uh, actually, even Monopoly, I would say, kind of is, because you have like the properties, and the more you have, like the better you do. Meh. You know, it's loose, but I'm going to say that it kind of falls in the same category. Um, I like to reference really famous board games because I do want this to be accessible to people who, like, only play, you know, 
Toys R Us kind of board games, which Toys R Us has a terrible selection. They have a couple of good ones, but it's really not that good. And I'm disappointed for a toy company that they should have much better board games, but they don't. Actually, I think they're gone in the States. So maybe y'all don't even have it anymore. Anyways, they still exist in Canada. So get better board games, Toys R Us. This is a call out. I'm never shopping there. Actually, I shouldn't anyways. It's a giant company. It's probably the worst. Support your small board game stores. That's what I do, even if it's more expensive. Okay. Random tangents aside. That was the first mechanic. Area control. Pretty simple to understand. And it's like pretty self-explanatory. You control areas. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, just flip the words. You're like, oh, I totally get it. Uh, right? Anyway, another mechanic that is in the game is dice rolling. You roll some dice. See, some of these mechanics can be pretty self-explanatory, but I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. Um, it's actually not majorly a component in this game, but there's like one special type of dice that you do roll kind of to help take over territories. Not like a very similar to risk, but not actually that similar to risk. And I'll kind of explain why I appreciate that at the end. Okay, third mechanic that I would like to talk about is variable player characters. That is a mouthful. But um, it's a very common mechanic, and you actually probably have played some games like this and not really thought about it. Um, there's so many board games that do it. So basically, variable player character means, ugh, God, I can't even say it. <laughs> VPC for short. Should I make that an acronym? It probably already is. Anyways, games with this mechanic are ones where basically everyone playing has a character that has different traits from other players. Um, Citadel is a really old card game. Uh, that has different characters that you kind of play and everyone actually gets to play each one throughout the game um so citadel is a big one love letter is another one coup is a very very good one uh bang if you played bang the dice game or the card game you have a different character um it's basically like a mechanic where you're kind of more unique and you have extra traits that other people don't have you all have the same general like things that you can do usually but you kind of have special traits to your own characters. Um, and in this game, you even have different characters because you have different fantasy races throughout. Ooh, excuse me. I burped. Ahem. I'm a lady. <clears throat> Ladies burp. Oh my God, I'm drinking a beer. That was a mistake. Will I edit this out? Probably not. Mm -mm. It's a really good beer. Okay. Um, so that was the last term I kind of had to explain. Um, so yeah, basically that's it. And in Small World, how this the variable player mechanic works is like, you have different characters and fantasy races you could pick. So like you have dwarves, sorcerers, like spider people, fairies, all sorts of fantastical creatures. And they all kind of have their own special traits. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much how that works. Um, oh, yeah, 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 there you go. So it's area control, dice rolling, variable player characters, rolls, powers. I don't know, there's like a whole lot of words that are kind of the same and just different board games use different terminology. But, you know. Each player gets special. It's everyone's special. It's one of those board games. <laughs> Everybody's special. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how the mechanics work. And like, if I ever use them now, you're, you'll understand what I'm referring to. I don't even know if I will use them later on in the episode. I probably will. But um, yeah, now we first learned we some learned some board game mechanics. Wasn't that fun? Step one, chick. Awesome. Okay, so let's talk about how we actually play the game before I can then get into the critiques and the strategies. Um, so, da, 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 how do we play the game? If you have already know how to play the game and you don't really care to hear this, go ahead. Go go ahead and just go ahead somewhere else. It's fine. You can come back. I forgive you. It's kind of boring. <laughs> I promise it won't be very long. But hey, a lot of people have never played it, so like I gotta explain this. Alright, so, Small World is a relatively quick game because you only have a set number of turns from before it's over. It's not like Risk where you're waiting for one person to just like take over the whole world and you just sit in Australia for three hours being like, please don't kill me. Please stop killing me. But then for some reason you keep rolling really well and you just can't die. But you also can't claim any more territory. <sighs> God damn. 
anyway, I'm not bitter about risk at all. Um, <laughs> I am. Oh, man. I played it like five times in my life, and all of them were terrible. I know. I played it a lot more than that because I actually did like it. I'm getting off topic. This isn't even about risk. This is about Small World. Okay. So, you pick your character at the start of the game. Um, everyone has to pick their first race and special ability combo. There's 14 different races, and you get to pick from six uh, that are kind of flipped up to be available. And then there's 20 different abilities that are kind of... There's more abilities than races. I guess they just, for some reason, not... I don't know. Thought that made sense. I don't know why. I didn't design the board game. Don't ask me. Um, but yeah, so that's just like an added benefit on top of whatever benefit that that fantasy race has. So... How do you pick the character? Well, you can take the one at the bottom that's free, or you can take you can put a coin on top of every race you kind of don't want to pick like a better one, um, and that's actually important. And I kind of get into why that matters later on. But that's kind of how you pick your character. Most people, the first time you play, you just take the one at the bottom because like it's free, and I don't really care. They all do things, and that's not the worst strategy to be honest. But um, that's how you go. So everyone goes around picking their character. This takes forever. But, you know, it's an important part of the game, so that's kind of why I tend to just take the one that's free or, like, one or two up. Like, I don't want to go crazy. Unless there's, like, a really good combo, but I don't know. They're all pretty good, and um, they all do things, you know? I don't know. Actually, every once in a while, there's, like, clearly a really bad one, and everyone just pays a coin onto it until it gets, like, five coins. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to take it because I want the coins. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot to say, you start off with five coins. The coins are your point system, and that's how you win the game, by getting coins. You don't spend them on anything other than picking races, so that's why picking a race with the coins isn't that bad, because it's not that bad of a trade-off if you get, like, a really good race, because you can't spend coins on any other point in the game, which is interesting, and I always find that strange. Anyway, that's your point system. Get more coins, you win. All right, <clears throat> so that's pretty much that. Um, after you pick your characters, then you get into actually playing the turns. So obviously one person goes first, and you kind of have three phases. There's like the conquering phase, there's a redeployment phase, and then there's like just a taking your points, or coins in this case, phase. Conquering phase, pretty simple. You start conquering territory, so this is very similar to Risk, right? You know, you've got the little map, you've got tons of different terrain, and then you've got your own little uh, troops that you're going to put out. Um, and that's pretty simple. You're going to pick kind of strategically where you want to go. So if you have like the mud men and they really want to be on mud, you're going to go in the muddy area. Um, so that's uh, that's kind of strategy. We're going to do later a little bit more about that. But, you know, you take your troops and you kind of take over the territory. And this is actually an important moment because I need to distinguish between the two games here. Small World and Small World Underground have very different beginning of the game moments this is the main difference between the two other than like the whole theme and artwork um so in small world underground it's underground that's the premise so it's a bit of a different terrain and art style um you have monsters and you have mostly empty terrain so the empty terrain you need two troops to take it easy peasy if there's a monster you need one more than that so like three or four i forget if it's equal to or one more it might be one more um, so that's, anyway, that's how that works. Small world underground is pretty simple. Often people just take all the empty terrain because it's just so easy. You can just take up a ton of space immediately. Um, small world, the regular version, so the original one, <sighs> there is a bit of an issue here where there are people all over the map, a race that is called the Lost Tribes, and they're going into decline. And so the, the minimum you can use to get any, any piece of land is three. So it's a little more of a nuisance to kind of have to take over the territories and i will get into some of my issues with that later on anyway 
That's the main difference in conquering, ter- conquering territory between the two games. They're mostly identical. Um, and I'll talk, talk about why I prefer Small World Underground over Small World. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm trying to stick stick to my script here. Um, okay, so you t- you, you, you're eventually going to find that there's just not enough territory because it's a small world. And you're going to start to attacking each other to get more territory to get more points. That's what you want to do. That's the point of the game, right? Um, and uh, that's basically that. Um yeah, that's that, that's all you do with conquering territories. Really, not that complicated. I don't have to get into it. That it's you'll have more if you pick a special ability with more token numbers on it. You can have more people and kind of spread yourself out better. That's another thing to be aware of when you're picking it. But um, that's really all you need to know. You have like ten to twelve troops, so you can get a good amount of territory. Gosh, the beer was not a good idea. <laughs> but anyways. I digress. That's enough about conquering. It's pretty simple. Oh, I forgot. You can roll a dice at the end if you're like one or two men short to conquer a space. This is the only time you really roll the dice. Um, So the dice, it's not like risk where you roll every single time to conquer. It's more like you get to roll once for like a bonus square, but generally you just take the square. So it's more strategic and whatever, as opposed to the amount of sheer luck that occurs with risk sometimes. So that's a good thing. Anyway, after you have conquered some territories and you're like, well, I can't really go anywhere else now. I've run out of troops. Uh, I'm going to do my redeployment phase. And that is pretty self-explanatory. You take your little men or woman or gender non-conforming tokens. I mean, they're fucking fantasy species. I don't know how many genders they have. <laughs> so you take them and you redistribute your troops on different tokens and tiles on uh, the map. So if, going back to the mud people, just because they're so easy to understand like visually you can a picture it while i'm talking to you and also like they have some simple traits um they're gonna you're gonna be like okay the mud territory that i have is much more valuable to me as a mud person than like the crystals so i'm gonna defend the mud territory because someone else might try and take it from me and then i would lose the benefit that i get by having it so you're gonna reallocate your men onto i keep saying men your characters troops your troops you're gonna reallocate your troops onto the different territories that are more valuable there's also relics you might if you have like a fancy relic or you have like a fancy magical place that you find um because some territories have special tokens on them then you might defend that because it gets you an extra coin so redeploying is important you should redeploy at the end of every conquering phase um i'd be surprised if you didn't unless you have no choice and you're just like straight up out of dudes anyway that's that next phase. And then at the very end of that, you can have like, I don't know, I don't even know if this is a phase in the board game, but you take your coins. So the number of territories you have and abilities and relic bonuses, whatever, gives you coins and that is how you win. So more territory, more fancy bonuses, more coins. Better for you. Um, so that is a general turn uh, playing Small World. There is also a special turn that you'll do every once in a while because you'll be like, okay, there's 10 turns, but I have 10 people and I'm already at 10 territories. I literally can't do anything other than just sit here and watch myself bring in money. Well, that's no good. You need another fantasy race. What is it? What do you, how do you do that? How do you get it? You go in decline. So your current race at the start of your turn, instead of conquering, you can say, I'm going to go into decline. And you flip all your little dudes over and you take a new, well, you take a new race, I think, at the start of your next turn. Um, and then you just start again. So that current race, um, now sometimes special things happen. Sometimes they don't, they're just there and they're no longer as successful. You still get, uh, points if you're controlling a territory, even with a decline race. So it's good. They're not gone. Uh, but you know, yeah, that's, that's what you need to know about going to decline. This is the most confusing part for people because it's, it's kind of strange. And a lot of board games really, I can't think of any other examples that I've played that have it. I'm sure there's other ones, but it's an interesting thing because you don't have one character the whole game. You have like 
three or four races even like it's kind of cool it's interesting to like don't get too attached i got too attached i actually won because i got too attached to my fairies the first time i played <laughs> but that doesn't usually happen and i'll explain, I'll explain later on okay so that's declining. So those are like the general phase of a turn and then like the special decline phases. Um, there's more specifics and everything, obviously, but this is an overview of how the game works. So I don't want to go into it. And I mean, this is a podcast. I can't show you the tokens. So it feels silly to kind of be like, and this is a very specific example of this. Like, that's just, that's not, there's no point. Um, anyways, so that's how to play. Welcome back, nerds. Whoever left and fast-forwarded to the part where I talk about why I love it. Oh, man. Good for you. Thanks for skipping over that very boring how to play part. Anyways, <laughs> I think it was interesting. So here we're going to break into why I love it and then why I like not so love it. So there's kind of like a, these are just my opinions on the game. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's a good game. It's a pretty fucking good game. It's the second game I'm rating on my podcast. So like, I clearly like it a lot. Um, there's four reasons. So the first one is I really like the artwork. It's a fantasy game. Fantasy artwork is always fun. I think they've done a great job. Um, actually a lot of the expansions, they've been ideas suggested by fans of the game who are like, what if there was an ice cream wizard race, which is like literally one of the expansion races, <laughs> just like ice cream wizards. And they're super cute. And I don't think they have the best ability, but they are awesome so you know the artwork's really cool and unique and clever and in the in the base games and also in the expansions um so i really like that and that's also because they take advice from you know their fans uh, but even like obviously the designers and the art whoever did the artwork um really put they, they, they did a good job um so i don't know that's i know that's a silly thing but there's so many boring especially older games that you play with bad artwork that I appreciate good artwork so much. Like I've played a couple games that were like very cheaply made board games that I enjoy the mechanics and the fundamental idea of the game, but the artwork is just not good. And it kind of takes me out of it. Like, I don't know. This is something I feel. I don't know if everyone feels that, but I really do. Um, all right. Reason number two is the mechanics. Mechanics. What is wrong? What? The mechanics. I can't speak today. I would like to blame um, this beer that I'm drinking for all of my problems um, and not my own, not myself because I'm the one drinking the beer. Uh, number two, the mechanics. So I think they're great. Um, it's a lot better than Risk. I like a lot of the choices that they made. Like you don't roll the dice every time, so it's not like only dice-based. Um, there's lots of different kind of races with different strategies and goals, which keeps you kind of wanting different areas of the map so you're not getting in each other's way as much. Um, so that's good. Um, on that same note of the mechanics, kind of like reason number three is the length, which is one of the mechanics, I suppose, um, is that it is time boxed very well. Um, it's going to be like an hour and a half tops. It might be two hours the very first time you play because there is a lot to kind of see and read um, because you're like, oh my God, this is overwhelming. There's like 14 different things I need to read about how these different characters work. And that's just a lot. And also the relics and all these things. There is a lot of things I didn't really go into. Uh, so it is, it can, it, it's can be long maybe the first time you learn it. But once you get the hang of the, the basics, it's not a very long game. You can see the game, like as it's progressing. It's just like, okay, round one, round two. I think there's like 10 turns tops, maybe eight if you're in a smaller game with less players or more players. I forget how it works. Um, so it's nice that it's time boxed and you can kind of see when it's going to end and like gives you kind of like, okay, I need to go to decline now or else I won't get another turn after. Like I like, I really like that mechanic. And I think game makers are almost afraid to do that because it's kind of more disappointing to be like, oh, there's no goal to reach. It's just like, time's up but like i don't know i think it's fine i mean it's a bit of a disappointment to not be like aha i got the most territory like but it's also like it, it kind of 
gives you more and uh and you're not sure who's winning right because you're like you kind of can have an idea but people put their token like point tokens face down so you don't totally know if you're in the lead which is kind of cool and that's not your unless you're really good at math and you're just keeping track and they're like a poker player generally <laughs> it's fairly anonymous who's winning um so i like the anyway i like the length um i like the, actually the hidden point system um relatively hidden again you people who count cards could probably solve that but oh well um so yeah um it's cool. I like it. Uh, what was number four? Number four, uh, replayability. So there's another great thing about the game is that you can play it and it's a bit different every time you play. So like, there's a lot of times I've played this and actually there's plenty of races I haven't played with. Um, like this, the plenty, like I played, I think I played, my mom always played, gets to play the ogres, but I've never actually been the ogres. So like there's different fantasy races that exist. And like every time you play, you'd have to play it. Yeah. You'd have to play it like probably at least five times to have played all of the 14 different races. And then you'd be like, okay, now I've seen them all. <laughs> and I think I played more than that, and I still haven't played all of them just from what's available, right? So probably just play more than that. Replayability is one of my uh, biggest things with a board game. You know, they're expensive. I want to be able to play it more than one time and be bored. So, um, I mean, that's why I picked Dominion as one of my first board games to review, because there's so much replayability. It's totally different every time. Um, and I think this game kind of lends itself to that as well. So those are the four reasons I really love it. Um, and now I'm going to go into the reasons I don't so love it. <laughs> uh, critiques. Let's, let's get a little harsh here. All right. Number one, there's kind of three problems I have with it. Um, first off is it has a very steep learning curve. Oh my God. I hate to explain it to people when I'm teaching them because it's complicated. And like the guy, game designers obviously know that because they made a handy cheat sheet. Guess how big it is ginormous it's two-sided and it's literally the same size as the box of the board game it's ridiculous that is a fucking huge cheat sheet that's no longer a cheat sheet that's just like your own individual rule book <sighs> anyway i don't super love that it takes up table space i wish it was like at least smaller like maybe it was literally a tiny rule book like that might be better like a little card that kind of had like i don't know two sides i don't know it's very big it's it's too big um it's a problem <laughs> like you set up the game it takes up enough space as a board game but then you're like great now i have this huge rule book and ev there's five of us playing and the table's so small and we're all inevitably like it's gonna get wrecked it's just a problem this is one of my big things is the ri ridiculous learning curve and the huge cheat sheet which i think kind of go hand in hand um just there's too many races Ugh. well not that there's too many there's enough because you want to be able to replay it and that's important but i just mean that like there's a lot to read and then you'll be, you know, people who've never played it, they're trying to figure out what all these races do. They don't have to read all 14, but they'll have to at least read the first six. And then they have to kind of read about the relics when they finally open a relic. And there's just like a lot of like, you need to play this game with people who are okay with learning things as they're playing and referring to things. Because if people just want to play and not have to refer to things, then this is not the game for them. So that's my issue. I found it overwhelming when I first learned it. Um, and I love board games. And I was like, what is going on? Obviously, at the end of the game, I was like, oh, this is a great game. and I love it. But in the first, like, five, ten minutes when my brother was teaching us how to play, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> this is a lot. And then it was fine. So I'm just going to warn you that that will be a problem. <laughs> if I have an issue with it, other people will, especially people who don't play a lot of board games. Okay. So the number two reason that I'm not a big fan of this board game, um, well, not a big fan, it's just I have my issue with it, is uh, the timer uh, problem. There's no timer, especially when picking your race. And that just takes forever. Like, I've been at the table waiting for, like, five minutes for someone to just pick a fantasy race on the table and, like, the special ability. Like, just just get on with it, please. Oh, my God. Um, I would encourage a house rule of, like, a little, like, minute timer. I think a minute's probably fine. Just because, like, it takes a while. 
and maybe not the first time you play with people so be patient um but if you've been playing for a while and people are still gonna be like that it's just like no we just no <laughs> get on with it anyways i don't know the reason i'm also so annoyed with this is like my ex when we used to play we had every single expansion of the game out and available every single time we played so you would have to refer to like six different rule books trying to find the race on the table to see if you could pick it if you wanted to pick it or not Cause like if the symbols aren't always uh, gonna make you understand it especially with an expansion you've only played once or twice oh my goodness so this is like my own pet peeve as well because like it was an extra an extra lo- like more difficult problem when you play with every single <laughs> expansion which is just our difference in, in desires when we play board games he likes to have all the expansions o- out and open and available i prefer a couple maybe one <laughs> so differences in opinion there but that's how board games and everything all cultures and groups people work um so yeah there you go that's number two finally so this is a bit of a doozy it's gonna take me a minute to dive into but in small worlds the base game not the underground version um there is the lost tribe tokens and i kind of mentioned them at the beginning and if you're kind of like wondering what my issue was that I really hope this is obvious and I don't have to explain it to people but you know what sometimes people just don't see it until you kind of point it out to them I noticed this me and my ex both played small world much after we played small world underground and we were like oh I don't think we ever want to play this version again uh because I mean he works with a lot of um indigenous groups uh at his job and I just have a lot of friends in that community because I have friends who are not all white people like a normal person um so anyways the last tribe token in the base game the entire board is full of these people and they're called a race that's going into extinction and the entire board has lost tribe tokens they look like lost tribes you know the connotations around the word tribe is kind of (sighs) tribal with anthropology and stuff like that so you're basically committing a genocide in the very very beginning of the game and that is not fun that is not okay and i really have problems with games that really like to to do this and they they don't quite see why that might be uncomfortable i'm not even like a person who like i'm i'm a white cis female so i have tons of privilege i was not i don't have a history where my people were oppressed at any point so i i don't personally see that as experience as like kind of triggering but i could see that being an issue for a lot of a lot of other people so i don't really like this aspect and i i, I don't understand how it got to print having not been visible but i mean i do understand how it happened but I, i'm also surprised that no one has raised the issue with it because it just it, it just feels so much like what happened in canada and the u.s and like and like australia like not australia but well no australia has indigenous people so like across the globe this is a thing that that many cultures have done at different times to other cultures and that's just that's just sad so yeah, the Lost Tribe to- tokens do feel a lot like you're eradicating the indigenous people. And I know they say Lost Tribe, but like you can put another word on it. It doesn't make it not very clearly indigenous people being eradicated in a board game. That's just just, just what it is. Um, I don't think I'm misrepresenting it in any way. Um, I don't know. This is probably gonna be controversial and I feel really bad, but, um, but yeah. I, I I stand by my point and I'm going to not be playing the original game because I don't think that it is necessary. I think you can make the board game without that game mechanic and without those word choices and it will be just fine. And they in fact did because Small World Underground exists. I don't know if there's backlash. I tried to find something and I couldn't, maybe I didn't research hard enough. Feel free to correct me on this. Um, but yeah, there was no, there's no indigenous 
lost tribe kind of group in small world underground it's there's a couple dragons most of the board is empty and there's like a couple ogres and stuff like it's not really the same and they're like guarding treasure it's like one or two it's not like a whole race of people that is their own has their own name you know um so <laughs> there you go that is my third critique of small world and not really small world underground this is mostly just the default one and that's why i really only play the underground version because I like the artwork better. I honestly do. And uh, I like that game mechanic not existing because it makes it much more enjoyable for me. Because, um, again, genocide is bad and that should not be controversial. Somehow it is in this day and age. But I really don't want to get caught up in the politics of all that because I'm just trying to talk about a board game. And unfortunately, people put these things into our board game. So I have to talk about them. Ah! Okay, that's it. That's all right. No colonization. It's bad. Don't do that. Um, anyways, if you think it's just a game and it's harmless... I mean, I can't convince you otherwise, but I hope you at least see the point that people are making and, like, can understand why, you know, we should be doing better. Um, and if you're going to be a game designer, for real, like, consider that, um, the history that you're putting into your board game sometimes. Especially a fantasy board game where there's absolutely no need to put it in there. Like, the game can exist perfectly fine without that or, like... Yeah, okay, that's all. I'm trying not to go on a rant here. I knew this was going to take for a while, but I had to talk about it because I can't review the game otherwise. Okay, Whew. I feel like we've addressed it and we can move on. Now let's get into the strategies. Okay, uh, now that I've critiqued it and also said why I like it and why I prefer one over the other, we can actually talk about the strategy. Whew. That was a lot. I'm sorry, this is going to be a long episode. Okay, strategy number one that I would like to talk about. This is just really quite simple, but it's really... It's just picking the best fucking race. That's not the only strategy, but I would argue it's pretty important because um, the race and ability that you pick, uh, you want them to be a good combination to be able to take up more territory. Like sometimes they're a bad combination. Like it just makes no sense. And you're like, well, mud loving fairies or I don't know, mud loving vampires, whatever type of combination. I can't remember, I can't remember all the different races. I'm probably making things up. <laughs> but like, you know, if it's like a combination that you're like, okay, this race really prefers this type of territory, but then the ability on it makes it want a totally different thing and there's, the map doesn't lend itself to that, it's not a good combination and you're going to be making your, yourself weaker. Um, so I would say that's kind of one of the important strategies is to be picking a good combination um, and like picking wisely. Like don't spend all five of your coins at the beginning. That's five whole points to like pick the best race because that could be the five points you lose by. Um, that might not be wise unless it's a really good race combo. I don't know. Maybe it is. Um, but yeah, some people said online to avoid dwarves. I was looking at different strategy forums and they were like, avoid dwarves, they're the worst. They didn't say why. I don't quite get that because I've definitely played with them and I've done like, I usually come first or second. I'm pretty successful in this board game when I play it and I've never had an issue with the dwarves. So I don't quite follow that. They actually get an extra, so they get extra coins from the mining type of tiles in small world underground and they also get coins while in decline which is pretty like an extra point for that type. that's pretty dope that's great a lot of races don't have that in decline traits are like super uncommon i almost, I almost wish they all had more of it, it kind of makes it sad you're like oh i went in decline oh i get nothing like <laughs> i'm a little sad there you go there you go philippe fix the board game give me more decline races um so anyways that's one strategy is just to pick a good combination of a special ability and fantasy race um, strategy number two, I would say it's pretty important when you're playing the game, is to go into decline. Hmm. Okay, this is mixed because it depends. Go into decline early. So, I mean, to go, go into decline before you think you need to because sometimes you'll waste a turn and you're, other people will go into decline and then they're getting ahead of you and they've got wait, they've got their ex going extinct race on the board and they've also got their active race on the board. And you're like, oh, shoot, you've got so much more territory than me and then you're getting attacked by everybody. So, 
that's not great. Um, however, I would like to say with this, you you can sometimes not go into decline very much. So you should, typically you'd probably go three to four races in a game. But I my very first game I I won and I only had two races the whole game, which is to say I had my first fairies actually uh, my first race active for half the game, which is like five whole rounds, a long time. And then maybe it was eight, maybe it was four rounds. I don't know for most of the game. And then I had my in decline race. That, uh, them in decline for the rest of the game and I did not go to a third I only had like one other I don't even remember what my second race was because I loved the fairies so much um and the second half of the game I was able to keep them I, they were just on territory that I think no one else needed and so it ended up being that they there was just so many of them I was getting like 15 coins in a turn which is a lot if you can get any like eight to ten that's pretty solid like on average so 15 coins in a turn that's a lot and I just milked it forever and then I won because I did so well so um as much as I think that the de- going to decline earlier and like, and often is better than maybe not, typically it really depends on how you're set up and what other players are doing to make your decision. Um, but that is a pretty common strategy that the forums all kind of agree, agree on. So I'm just going to put it out there with, you know, a star asterisk of like, depending on what you're doing and how successful you are, because sometimes it's not worth it. Sometimes you should milk it while you can. Be the 1%. Hoard your wealth. Get 15 coins every turn as long as you can. That's what I did. It worked. <laughs> okay, and this is the third strategy that I'm going to point out. Is not really. I mean, some people kind of pointed out in the forums, but not everyone did. Avoid other players. This is just has any game. Like, you know, when a territory happens, like, you don't want to be where everybody else is. Like, you're playing, playing uh, Catan. It's the same kind of thing. You know, you're putting down your houses and you're building roads and you want to build the things away from other people because they will cut you off. Same kind of thing happens in this game. Like, if you build in a straight line, and then your troops can't be redeployed because you're all, you like get cut off in the middle. So like, you know, try and put yourself in the map maybe where other people aren't, even if, and which also kind of means picking a race that has not got territories that everyone wants. So like, you know, it's really a lot of variables um, as with all board games. Because again, there is strategy. Some people said there's no strategy, but I literally just told you about three different strategies to be successful in this game. So they are wrong. Maybe there's less strategy, but it's not as chance ridden as risk. Like, come on. Um, so anyway, that's my... my very simple argument of that the whole like there's no strategy it's just luck you're probably just not good at it and you're just blaming your lack of strategy on other people because they're playing better than you so you know honestly it's a board game don't be a sore loser just have fun um so yeah that is uh pretty much everything i had to say about small world and small world underground i'm having trouble saying the word and again i'd like to blame the stupid beer um clearly i shouldn't drink while making a podcast um anyways that's it folks Thanks for coming on. I think it's a fa- thanks for coming on. Did I just thank myself? I think I did. Anyway, it's a fantastic game that's difficult to learn, but to get hang- get the hang of it, it is pretty enjoyable. Um, and I think you'll like it. You can play it again and again. It's a little bit different. Thanks to Days of Wonder and Philippe Kiarts for making this rad board game and also making a different version that I played originally before the original and that is much better. In my opinion, I really like Underground. It's great. Okay, that's all, folks. Have some fun playing some games. Roll some dice. I will see you next time. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.